I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Great to be with you again to bring you such wonderful conversations. If you have the opportunity and you'd like to support the show, please go to educationonfire.com forward slash support. And that takes you to my Buy Me A Coffee page where you have the opportunity to do a small donation, help support the show and also get the chance to have a shout out. Full details on that site, educationonfire.com forward slash support. William Tucker and his wife have helped over 100,000 kids and civilians in the slums of India, improving their quality of life through literacy education, emergency aid and other philanthropic initiatives. As a co-founder of Charity United, a US-based charity that provides humanitarian aid to children and civilians in need, William helps ensure children receive food, clothing, shelter and education. He has worked as an educational specialist and corporate training officer in international charitable organisations for several decades, training thousands of individuals in their jobs in order to improve the productivity of these organisations. After selling his house and living in the slums of India for a year, William discovered through on-the-ground experience the problems that kids most often face while living in slums, mainly a lack of educational opportunities. In collaboration with charities and volunteers in India, Africa and Latin America, Charity United provides educational tools to children with the aim of giving all children an equal opportunity for a promising future. What a great place to start. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with William Tucker. Hi, William. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. One of the running themes that seems to be happening at the moment is all about the the human connection, the real life of what's important and then how the, the learning kind of becomes part of that. And I think the conversation we're going to have today is a, such a, a a great example of that, of you know the human need that everybody is, is, is the starting point for what has to then be the, the essential center i guess of of what life needs to be for us to then learn and, and to develop from there so yeah thanks so much for being here thank you mark pleasure to be on uh, your show and uh, you know yeah let's get into it <laughs> yeah so let's start with charity united in a in a kind of a nutshell tell us what it is and and then sort of how you got involved in it Okay, so Charity United is, um, you know, something I set up together with my wife, and it originally started seven years ago, and uh, when uh, you know the war in Syria was going on, and my wife happened to be traveling in Eastern Europe on a holiday, and uh, ran into a train of refugees, you know, and kids uh, coming from you know warmer climates into a snow zone, walking in shorts and t-shirts, right? Well. <laughs> She wasn't having this, right? So she said, I'm staying here and I'm doing something about it, Uh, (laughs) you know? So that's kind of how it started, really driven by my wife, Uh, you know, and she showed me what was going on and, you know, we got all into it, started fundraising and and organizing, you know, to to help these kids. 
right? So originally we started just with winter clothes uh, and, and just emergency aid more, more or less. Um, you know, and then we got involved in the volunteer community, refugee community, um, ended up helping about a hundred thousand people that way, you know, over the space, you know, of six, seven months. Um, but you know, it was very interesting that, uh, a question was always coming up from people, you know, why is this happening? You know, why this war? Why this misery? Why can't we live in peace? Why, you know, what's going on? Right. Um, and that kind of get, uh, you know, set us going like, yeah, why is this happening? You know, why, why can't we, you know, you know, everybody, you know, talks about peace and wanting peace. Uh, but somehow we don't seem to be able to have it right. One war ends and a new one starts. Um, so we're all about children, helping children. Um, and, um, uh, you know, that, refugee trail you know uh situation kind of you know found you know got to an end um but we kind of had fallen in love with helping children right because it was just such fun and 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 gives you a real sense of fulfillment so you know we started to see okay what else can we do but keeping that question in mind you know why is all this misery happening you know why can people just simply talk it out um, uh, you know, so we decided, okay, let's go, go to some of the slums of the world and, and find out what's going on over there. Um, and, and ask them, okay, what do they feel they need? What would help them? Right. And, uh, the more we asked, you know, one, one answer kept on coming up. Uh, and that was that the kids, you know, felt that they would be helped if they could learn right? If they could get educated, if they could get literate, right? Um, so then we kind of started shifting into the educational aspect of it as an underlying issue of, you know, people not being able to understand each other, not being able to, to get educated. And then you know, we always seem to be voting for the wrong person, no matter how right we want things to go, right? Uh, and, um, you know, there's just a lot of manipulation that if people could think a little better, uh, they'd fall less prey to the manipulation. So that kind of became the whole idea behind it. And uh, that started us on our route to literacy. And I think, for me, it really just puts, you know, education as a system in in real perspective a little bit like i said at the beginning there is that kind of you know when you're when you're cold and you're in shorts and t-shirt the last thing you're worried about is a spelling test like it might be on on people sort of you know here in the uk it's like well, i've got to do this or i've got this piece of homework or whatever it's like none of that's important when it's about survival and moving forward and i think what that then does is it opens up the like say the conversation about what is it that we need and it starts on that human level and then I love that sort of progression into the kind of, well, actually asking the question, you know, what do you need sort of beyond that? Or what is that? And I think for, you know, the rest of us in sort of the Western world, as it, as it were, even asking children, what is it that you need and what you want here? <laughs> you get a very interesting answer coming back, which might not be what they're actually having to do on, 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 a, on a regular basis. And, and so 
once you sort of got to that stage and like I say sort of literacy became the important thing and that idea of thinking and, and, and having a voice what were those next steps is it just a question of I'm now going to help you in which way you know was there a system the resources that you're sort of involved in how, how did that sort of develop from hearing that this is what we like and then what that then becomes your your sort of next step now that's a very good question um well you know I thought all the answers existed right um, <laughs> um you know which uh you know probably is very naive of me uh you know but you know you, you kind of go along and you assume that 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 everything is taken care of, that education is taken care of, right? Until you start opening your eyes, right? Because I, 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 you know, the first slum we vis visited was actually um, in South Africa. And I went to a place called Etwatwa. And Etwatwa is uh, a Zulu word. It means machine gun fire. <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah. So, so, uh, even that is a bit of an eye opener. What? There's a place called Machine Gun Fire, right? That and people live there, right? Um, and uh, you now to put this in perspective, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Soweto, uh, you know, but you know, but people tend to know Soweto as like, you know, okay, that's already like an iffy place to go, right? Um, you know, when I tell some of my friends from Soweto that I've been to Etwatwa, right, they go into shock. Right, because they're like they will right. not they will not step foot in Etwata. You know, they're terrified of going to this place, right? But um, I figured you have to really go to to some of the worst places if you you want to know, you know, how you know, like like what's the real situation, right? Uh, and if you can't go to the bottom, right, into where it's worst. You can never find an actual answer, right? So we arrived in Soweto, and you know, uh, which was an adventure by itself. But I figured out, look, if I give all the kids treats, you know, to start off with, you know, uh, maybe I'll be accepted, right? So I actually bought a carload of oranges, drove to the middle of it, you know, and and it's in the middle of nowhere, right? It's just shacks, uh, you know garbage lying around there's no running water uh you know um and the shacks are put together from whatever material they can find uh you know uh kids are digging through garbage you know to to somehow eke out and subsistence um you know and there's some chemical company illegally burning chemicals you know uh with huge billowing black smoke clouds you know, you know, just wafting over the area, right? So this is your kind of scene. Anyway, so we got out of the car, started handing out oranges, you know, within 15 minutes, you know, we had all the kids of the slums, you know, with their oranges and, you know, and that's how we opened the conversation. And, uh, you know, a few of the adults came up, started talking to them. And you know, about half an hour later, they're like, okay, Ah, we like you. We'll make sure nobody kills you. <laughs> right? I'm <laughs> saying, so, well, that's very kind of you. <laughs> right? Uh, and that kind of was the start there. Um, and then, you know, we started asking, okay, so what are the, the problems you perceive you have? Right? What it is you, what, what is it that you need and want? What would make things better? Right? 
And you'd think they'd say, oh, money or clothes or food. No, none of that. The answer was like, you know, we need education for our children, right? And uh, that's going to make a difference. <laughs> so he said, okay, you know, let's start. Um, and again, uh, we learned a lot there. Uh, and uh, later I went to India, you know, uh, into similar slums and asking the same questions. And again, the answer was education, learning, literacy, um, speaking English, right? Because then they can make it to universities, right? Then they can, uh... so I said, okay. Um, so I got all the best English materials I could find, you know, because they'd specifically asked for English literacy. Uh, because this will allow them to get jobs in the future or or to study uh, at the universities or to go abroad and, and, and make it somewhere. And every English program, you know, starts out at grammar. And you see the kids getting lost right in front of your eyes, right? And, and to put this in perspective, right? Let's say you come to me and say, hey, I want to learn to speak Russian. And I go to you, well, here's your Russian grammar book. <laughs> Do you think you're going to learn to uh, read Russian or speak Russian, right? <laughs> it's not going to happen. But that's literally how we are teaching kids and we're expecting it to work. So, so we actually found out that, that whatever the existing programs are, they're missing the point, uh, you know, and they're put together uh, at an academic level, you know, of what is correct um, academically, but it doesn't work in the real world, right? It doesn't work in Islam. Uh, it, you know, the kids get lost. Um, so I actually went and lived in Islam for a year uh, to work with kids every day and to figure out, okay, how do we break through? And uh, one of the real things like, you know, we looked at is like, okay, so how do kids learn? Who are the best teachers, right? And and the answer to that became, well, you know what? Parents are the best teachers. Moms are the best teachers. Why? Well, they successfully teach every child to speak a language, right? Um, so they must be doing something right, right? And we started looking at the sequence. Okay, how is language learned? How is literacy built? Well, nobody hands a baby a grammar book and says, okay, here, you know, there you go. Welcome to England. You know, you're born here. Welcome to the family. You know, speak. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not done that way. Absolutely. Right? Uh, uh, and, and if you suggest that to somebody, <clears throat> they would consider you insane. Right? Okay. Well, well, this opens up a whole new perspective then. So what is the right way? Well, we figured out that before you can learn to read, you must at least have a basic vocabulary, right? So we said, let's put all the school books away to start off with, right? And let's focus just on building a vocabulary, right? And how do we do that? Okay, well, again, I copied parents, right? How do parents... Uh, and moms teach vocabulary to a child. Well, they will point at an object and say the word chair, 
right? And they will do that enough times until the baby says the word chair, right? Uh, and then they will point at another object, right? Wall, right? And they will repeat the word enough times until the child repeats the word wall. And visually, the child is associating the word, the sound, with the object. So we thought, can we make this into an exercise, right? So I took a class of children in the slums. I said, you know, one o'clock, be there, English lessons, right? Uh, arrived at one o'clock, 100 kids showed up, right? Uh, they all spoke, class size. Yeah, they all spoke Hindi, and I didn't speak a word of Hindi at the time, you know? Uh, and, 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 and none of them spoke a word of English. But I pointed at the floor and said floor, and I repeated it five times. And sure enough, all the kids start pointing at the floor and saying the word floor, uh, right? And I point at the sky, uh, you know, and say the word sky. And I say, where's the sky? You know? And the kids, you know, after about five times of repeating that, get the idea and start pointing at the sky and saying sky. Good. Where's the floor? Where's the sky? Where's the floor? You know, repetitive. Then where's the tree, right? And it's a slum, you know, so a goat will walk, be walking through the class. And then where's the goat? Within half an hour, we had a 15-word vocabulary that they knew, right? I said, okay, this works. Uh, and, and I started repeating this every day for about two weeks until we had a 100-word spoken vocabulary. And the kids loved it. They were treating it as a game. Um, so, so that's how we go from, from zero to a spoken vocabulary, right? Then I started introducing flashcards with pictures, right? To build additional vocabulary where you couldn't find the words in the environment. And, you know, within a month, you know, the kids have a 400 word spoken vocabulary. Um, right. And then, then, then we went to, okay, reading, right? How do we, how do we solve that now? So we do the alphabet in a similar way flashcards, alphabet, until they knew the alphabet. And then, you know, we got to a real point where, where, where it's kind of a hidden difficulty in the English language. And that is our small words. And here's where we see where, you know, kids either make or break it in their reading. Um, we've got about a hundred small words in the English language, which that says uh, at, and, as, in, to, right? And um, they are the words that add meaning to our sentences, okay? Uh, about 30 to 50% of every English sentence consists of these hundred small words. Uh, uh, let's take the word at. At has five basic meanings, okay? But you ask people, hey, what are the five meanings of the word at? The five basic meanings of the word at. Everybody stares at you blankly, right? Uh, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, we kind of, as a native English speaker, you kind of know how to use the word, right? We know when to use it. But do we know what we're saying, right? Um, but for a kid learning to speak English, you know, from a native, uh, from another language, um, 
he doesn't even have the advantage of at least growing up knowing when to use the words. But, you know, so, so, so this became a real breakthrough when we started focusing on just those hundred, you know, words that actually provide fluency or, or, or are 50, 30 to 50% of every English sentence. Um, and then teaching, how do you get that across to an individual, right? So that became a whole new method, right? Uh, that had amazing results. Um, yeah. And just what, uh, in sort of as simple terms as you can, so what is that method? How, how did you kind of sort of make that, that kind of transition? Because I can see how you then suddenly hit that brick wall like you say because english-speaking children who have been brought up with that will have just heard it so many times that the association becomes natural much like you say that that's sort of the pointing at an object or whatever you could think it starts to become organic but very different like you say when you're trying to do it in your situation exactly so well you know and and that was really quite a puzzle how do how how do you teach this right <clears throat> and finally i had a bright idea right Ooh, i'm just going to make a booklet for each of the different uses, right? But I'm going to make it super friendly. Um, um, so I got a little cartoon character, you know, Ollie the Elephant, right? And I made five different booklets for the word at. Uh, each booklet is 20 pages. Um, and on the first page, it gives you the meaning of the word at as used in that booklet, okay? Then there's 20 full-page illustrations with a short sample sentence of how to use it. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, the first meaning of the word at is um, used to show place or position of something or someone, right? Then, you know, and that's in big letters, you understand. Uh, and then there's a full-page il uh, illustration of the cartoon character, Ollie, the elephant. And he's a baby elephant or a child elephant, right? Ollie is at home, okay? At shows place or position, right? So you see Ollie in his house sitting on a couch, right? Next page. Ollie is at the door, right? Illustration of Ollie standing at the door. At shows place or position. Next page. Uh, Ollie is at the gate, right? These simple sentences with illustrations that show the meaning, okay? Now, the moment I did that, all of a sudden, these kids are learning at a mad rate because they can see the meaning of the word, okay? So, 20 illustrations that way to really drive it home visually, you know, uh, and teach literacy. And then we get to the next booklet, right? At what time, Ollie? Right? Good. So, obviously, at doesn't show place or position anymore. Um, uh, you know, and there you go to the first page and it will say, you know, the meaning of an at used in this book shows when something happens, right? Uh, Ollie wakes up at sunrise, you know, full page illustration, Ollie getting out of bed, you know, with the sun coming up, right? Ollie eats breakfast at seven in the morning at shows time, right? Um, and again, 20, 20 illustrations showing at used that way, uh, used to show time. And we found that 20 is kind of your golden number uh, of 
you know, 20 examples, because, you know, by the time they're through those 20 examples, they've got a full comprehension of how to use it and they can make their own sentences, right? Um, third booklet of that, right? Uh, at, you know, indicates direction. It's used to show direction. Ollie points at the wall, you know? Uh, the girl shoots the arrow at the target. At shows direction. Uh, again, 20 illustrated examples. Fourth meaning of at. Used to show what somebody is doing or how he is doing something. All right? Ollie is at play. Ollie is, you know, full page illustration. Ollie playing, you know, in a playground. Um, Ollie is good at singing. Shows how something, at shows how something is being done, right? Uh, Ollie is good at helping his mom, right? Uh, at shows how something is being done. Ollie is good at playing guitar. At shows how, right? And finally, fifth meaning of the word at, um, you know, used to show a number or an amount. Uh, I drive at 50 kilometers an hour, right? Uh, or, and, you know, illustration where Ollie drives at 50 kilometers, you know, he's sitting in a car driving 50 kilometers. The kids can visually see the meaning, right? So they're never left in a confusion, right? Um, and once they finish the five booklets of that, you know, they have the five basic meaning of that. And then we actually have a set of exercises, you know, where they have 30 example sentences, you know, and they get a sheet with all the meanings of that, you know, the five different meanings of that. And they go through these example sentences one by one and figure out which meaning applies, right? Um, and this teaches comprehension. It teaches studies, the, the study skill of like, hey, I should understand what I'm reading, right? Um, and the funny part is, is that the kids get so interested uh, learning this way, you can't beat them away with a stick. Okay, uh, they they love this, uh, and it just works well. Anyway, so I have about a hundred of these booklets now, right? And I'm making more every day, uh, <laughs> because we found out that that this brings about true literacy, right? And our definition of literacy is: can you understand what you read? And it seems to me, like like you said, you come up against a real barrier, but actually your solution was obvious and simple because you'd already done the first step which is like to say point to the wall yeah and they see that actually happening so all you've all you've done um but what you've done is you've been able to sort of visually put that in place because that kind of learning is already happening and just made it in such a way that it it, it becomes apparent because you can then see that happening and 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 you can see that and, and i would imagine once you've got through like say all the booklets and all the uh, related to at it then starts to really snowball because when you introduce the next word, they kind of already know the process and the way it works. So it, it sort of becomes sort of self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of, of the speed that they pick everything up at. And you're absolutely correct, right? You know, the first booklet is the hardest, right? Because they're getting uh, used to this method. And that's why the reason we picked that, because it's the simplest word to explain, okay? Uh, if you take a word like to, um, two has 10 separate meanings, right? Or 10 basic meanings, right? I'm not even talking about the advanced, you know, esoteric <laughs> meanings. I'm just talking the 10 
basic meanings of the word tomb, right? Um, yeah, and that's a little bigger, bigger chunk. So we start with a, a, you know, a really simple word, at. Our next word is and, because that's another easy one. You know, there's only three basic meanings for the word and, uh, you know. Uh, so this kind of gets them into the groove. And take us on that journey of the of the learning side of it. So, like I say, you you've arrived. You're you're given out oranges. You you get the protection. You get the buy in of the parents and the excitement of the kids. Yeah. Um, how how far down that sort of track do you get in, in terms of of what they're able to do in terms of like I say their speech and their understanding and their and and their reading. Is is there kind of a, a place where you want to get to before you then go to a different place, or is it just dependent on time or, or the situation? How, how does that kind of work in that sort of in your sort of journey of each sort of venue, as it were? Okay, well, I try to be there long enough, you know, to get some volunteers through the program so they can continue the work, right? And um, for instance, like, and again, like, you know, I'm talking about the development phase, so I didn't really have everything envisioned at this stage in time, right? Um, but one of my, my real concerns was, right, um, it may be fine for me to be able to teach, right? But that doesn't solve the global problem of illiteracy, right? I may be the best teacher in the world, right? Or somebody may be the best teacher in the world, right? Okay, there's only one of you, right? <laughs> uh, like, uh, you can't teach everybody music, right? Uh, there's only so many uh, children or people you can, you can uh, manage in a day, right? So if you really want to solve a problem, you have to make it possible for anybody to participate and solve this problem, right? So, uh, so I was really looking at, okay, how do I empower or enable somebody else, you know, to make somebody else literate, even when they themselves have reading difficulties, okay? Because this is another one of the major problems and, and governments write about it and there's all these studies, you know, and you hear about them in the media all the time. There's not enough good teachers, right? Uh, there's a shortage of teachers. Uh, but we've been hearing about this for half a century, you know, uh, at least, right? And it hasn't solved the issue. Maybe that's not the problem, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Right? Because uh, there's so many people that are willing to teach. Maybe we don't have the right approach or materials, right? So with Ollie the Elephant Literacy Program, one of the things that I looked at is, can I empower somebody else to teach, right? And this was one of the big tests. So, so while I was in the slums in India, uh, you know, I, I got 10 teenagers together who were willing to, to give classes right? University students, you know, uh, high school students, and the youngest one was 15 and a half, and the oldest one was 22, right? And I said, okay, you know, it's fun a little experiment, right? I will give you guys two and a half hours a day private lessons, uh, you know, as a group, uh, but, 
you know, uh, in return, I want you to to give an hour class in the slum every day. And, and, and you know, are you willing to do that? And they all thought this was fantastic. Um, you know, so we set up this little program. Uh, but I was looking at, okay, can I give this booklets? Can I give this method to anybody, right? And can they improve literacy? Um, and the worst case was my 15 and a half year old, uh, you know, because his literacy, English literacy was terrible, not as Hindi, right? Uh, uh, but, you know, it was a real difficulty for him. Um, but sure enough, you know, we give him the booklets and we give him the exercises and his own literacy level is coming up as he's doing the program. Um, and he actually started a class for 50 kids in his slums. Uh, right. And I just provided him with the material and the method and, you know, keeping him one lesson ahead each time so he could turn around. Yeah, well, the results were amazing. He was actually successfully improving the literacy level, helping the kids and the kids in the slums were learning, right? And I would, I would go check out their classes every now and then. And one day I get there, and there's these kids, and they've just dug away 10 tons of dirt and they're building their own school. <laughs> okay. Wow. You know, with him as the teacher, you know, 15 and a half, and all the kids are ranging from, from, you know, 14 to four years old, uh, you know, and they're building their own school or shack, you know, I mean, they call it a school, but it, you know, unbelievable, right? Because they realized they could learn, they could get literate, they were being successful, um, you know, and they were also, yeah, they were just, able to learn and, 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 and once they knew that they could actually successfully learn, they got interested, right? They got all behind it. You couldn't beat them away with a stick, you know, and that's a really interesting phenomena, right? That when you make it possible for children to really comprehend and understand and, and feel like they're making progress, you know, you have no difficulty getting them to class. And I think for me, that's one of the key things that makes our sort of traditional system so different because you go to school because you, you have to <laughs> not because you want to and if we could just create that environment where this is a natural progression of what you've been doing like i say we don't teach kids to walk we set the environment and they learn to walk we, we don't teach them like you say to to read and write in that where you need to now study because you've now turned 18 months or whatever it happens to be we do it naturally and then certainly here in the uk you suddenly hit like four years old and it's like oh here we go proper classrooms sit down do this and you know i know there are various versions of all of that but as, essentially we don't have that natural progression that so children have learned organically in a in a in a very natural way how to do things for so many parts so, so many years and then all of a sudden we now know best and as you say there's a reason why there aren't enough teachers and, and, and it's not working in so many ways so I, I just think whatever we can do to kind of make that the next step just organic that you know of course as a child you want to learn more because that's what you know and if we can just do that in a way that then becomes very seamless into I want to be at school. I, I can see where this is going to take me. I can see where the skills and the learning and wanting to be involved in here can take me. And then, you know, the end goal, the end game, the end place, whatever that happens to be, can be absolutely anything. 
which I think in a in a global sense is exactly what we need because um, <laughs> those are the ideas and the solutions and the the inspiration that we're going to need to solve many of the world's problems, like you say, whether it's war, whether it's you know sustainability or anything. But it, it comes from a place of we're just developing, we're just learning, we're just taking the next step to take us on a journey which is going to be very much ours because we're taking our own responsibility rather than someone else is just telling us be here, learn this, and doing everything that we're doing currently. I think you're absolutely right, you know, but, you know, looking at the current education system, right, I don't think that many people realize that the current education system, which is basically focuses on memorization, can you pass this test? Can you answer the right, you know, the the right question? Do you have the right viewpoint rather than uh, free thinking, right? Um, well, where does this come from? Um, well, that's actually the old Prussian education system, right? This is more than a century old. Um, and it's uh, somehow adopted by the West, um, not realizing that uh, this is a military education system. The Prussian Empire, uh, you know, was a military empire based on conquest. Uh, uh, soldiers and uh, the army were what that culture revolved around, right? They ruled Prussia. So they needed an education system that made good soldiers, you know, people who follow orders unquestioningly, right? And that somehow infiltrated into the West, and that's the education system that we use. Education should not be based on memorization. Education should be based on understanding, right? Anything you understand, you don't have to try and memorize. Only those things that you don't understand, you have to memorize. And that's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think the other key thing I often think about is the can you it's not about can you answer the right questions which is like i say is kind of where we are at the moment but can you ask the right questions um and um that's a that's a very different thing and it's something which is so anti the way the whole thing is set up that you know children are often scared to sort of bring their head above the parapet because <laughs> they think they should be expected to know all these things before they've even had a chance to learn it or understand it or or any of those things which i mean could take us into another whole hour or so <laughs> uh, yeah, <I> know. <laughs> of all of all of, the, all of those things but um so i'm i'm always interested i mean especially with someone like yourself who's kind of the you know the the coal face as it were of real learning is there a teacher or an education experience that you had which had an impact but also did that kind of help develop what you've now kind of embodied in terms of the way that you're learning and i mean it sounds like you got there very organically but could, it was there sort of something which happened or someone that you knew where you can kind of see where that essence was part of, of your learning which has then sort of made you sort of who you are and how you teach today yeah, uh, very good question. I think uh, so. So I have an interesting schooling, you know, experience in that, uh, you know, uh, as a young child, I, you know, my my family moved a lot, right? Uh, you know, my father's American, my mother is Swedish. I was born in Belgium, raised in Holland, Denmark, Sweden. Uh, even lived in Sussex for a while um, before moving to the States. Um, 
So I got educated in different languages. I don't think I've attended a school more than, than, than a year uh, uh, in any particular school. On top of that, being forced to switch languages, right? Um, so to me, you know, this kind of uh, really uh, made me protest school, right? I didn't like it at all. I'd always have to come in new. I got really into self-learning, right? Um, and and that's kind of, you know, so it's almost like, well, it became very clear to me at some point, this is not how I want to learn. I don't want to be sit there being told what to think and how to do it, right? I want to explore myself, right? Um, so I just started reading a lot, you know, uh, don't know why that's what I started to do, right? I just started reading, 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 and, and really focusing on self-learning and learning, you know, and this just over the years, I've had this as a habit, right? Because I didn't want to learn from school anymore, right? I was done with that. Um, you know, so throughout my life, and I'm 48 at this point, you know, I've just always, you know, had an interest to learn something new. Um, but it really became clear that self-learning is what we have to instill, instill in the child. Because if you can get the child self-learning, um, no matter where they are, where they go, or if they change their mind later in life, they're not stuck in a rut. And you can really tell, you know, from everything that you said so far that that sort of it's not that I don't want to learn, it's that I don't want to go to school or I don't want to be involved in this situation. But I, I am, you know, enthralled and in, inspired by what's around me and I want to to make the most of that. And and I think that kind of epitomizes kind of what you were what you've been saying as well. Interesting. You were right, actually. I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's easier from the outside looking in, I think. I sometimes. know, right. <laughs> what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given or Maybe there's a piece of advice you might give your younger self now, sort of looking back as a as a more experienced William, should we say? Ooh, you know, what's the best piece of advice? You know, very interesting experience I had as a kid. Right, my my grandmother uh, was one of the first female sociologists in Sweden, right? And she actually took me to Africa at the age of 14 when she was doing a field trip. Uh, you know, and uh, this was a real eye opener for me, right? That things were different at her places. And, you know, I think she said, you know, she kind of instilled this like, look, you know, there isn't one right way to look at things, right? Because the right thing in one location is the wrong thing in another location, right? Um, uh, the right ethnic in one location is the wrong ethnic, you know. Uh, uh, you know, you can always go around the world and find, you know, something that's perfectly legal in one place and admired is illegal and hated in another place, right? <laughs> so, so. And so I think that really was a piece of advice, you know, be open to other views. And, you know, there isn't one right way, you know, there is many different views and many different situations. And the right thing in one situation is the wrong thing in another, right? So you can't box yourself in. 
And I think that, you know, having that actual experience of being able to see that, <laughs> that goes full circle to what you were saying about the way that we were teaching words and that kind of thing. You know, it becomes very obvious when you're surrounded by a different culture or a different way of learning or whatever it happens to be, because it makes perfect sense all of a sudden, very hard, like you say, when you're very much in your own little cocoon of, you know, I speak this language, this is my surroundings, these are my friends. Um, and uh, yeah, that the exposure in whichever way you can come. And, and I think what just struck me there was the fact that you also have that ability to then sort of share what that is. So when you were talking about, you know, talking about the sky and the floor, you can show that that's a very easy thing to do. But then you had to create resources for some of these other words because it didn't quite work. And I think that's where the creativity and the in the, the inspiration comes from, because even if we can't all go to Africa tomorrow to see what a culture might look like there, you know, we're in a world now where you can visit so many different places in so many different ways. And, you know, there are ways of doing that. And, and I think that becomes quite exciting in terms of once you've got that idea and that philosophy and that advice, like you say, the the world can be your oyster in, in so many different ways now, which I think is a, hopefully a, a positive thing for so many people, given that opportunity and that idea of the way of thinking, which can kind of shape everyone's future. Yeah, spot on. Is there a resource you'd like to share? And this can be personal or professional in terms of a podcast, a book, a video song, something which has had an impact that sort of springs to mind. Um, you know, uh, I have uh, on charityunited.us slash gift, I have a little illustrated grammar book, you know, which is a completely different approach uh, to grammar, which I'm giving away for free. Um, it's uh, different than the Ollie the Elephant program, you know, which focuses on small words. After you've done small words, then you uh, do grammar. So, so again, it's something I'm making available for, for free uh, to anybody who wants to improve their grammar or wants to teach their kid grammar. It's fully illustrated, uh, runs you through all the basics from a completely different perspective, right? It's not like here are your grammar rules. No, here's how you use words. Uh, uh, so that you uh, can say what you want to say, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really key. <laughs> Something that you want to say rather than what you've been told you have to say. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating, fascinating concept as well. Um, and as we start to round up, the acronym FIRE is important, obviously, here at Education on Fire. And by that, I mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, in empowerment what is it that strikes you when when you hear those words or is there one that sort of um stands out for you no i think it's spot on you know what i mean like you like uh when you have to inspire right uh you know uh because if you inspire kids they will create their own future right and and for that you have to open their minds um and and focus on comprehension or understanding so i think you know it is entirely appropriate as an uh you know acronym and um, each part you know plays its role yeah that's perfectly put and i and i, I agree and uh every it, everything speaks different to every every person but i think each time i hear it in a different way like I say it all becomes that sort of all-encompassing um and, and just just sort of round off by telling us, you know, what what's the future? Obviously, getting these resources out into the world is going to help so many people, like you say, rather than what you can do per personally. But is it also 
that sort of journey of going into more places yourself or, or spreading that word? What, what does that sort of future sort of look like for you? Yeah, I kind of work on it 24-7 these days, right? I just come back from Ireland of creating a community literacy coalition over there and, and training some volunteers. So that's going nicely. Um, you know, yesterday I was on the call with uh, Queen Mothers from Ghana, you know, who've asked me to to see if I can organize to come over and, and help them uh, create their community uh learning program you know so so i'm really really focused right now on on finding my way on how to start community learning programs or community literacy programs and i call it the community literacy coalition um because i believe like if like the community is where it's at right we know each other we know what troubles we have in the community and and you can't wait for some some magic wand to be waved by government right He's been waiting for a long time for that, you know, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, plus, no one knows the community better than the community itself, right? They know what the right approach is, the right approach is, and, and they know how to organize their community, right? So that's kind of what I'm focusing on now. It's just, you know, getting in touch with communities and other groups and, and just coordinating and saying okay how do we improve the community through literacy right and that's just one way of improving the community there's many other ways right but this is my chosen yeah. path right <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely fantastic well william thank you so much for sharing that story it's it's inspirational and i think that there are people who can step into this themselves they can see how it works for them i think there's so much so many elements of what we've spoken about which will speak to people and make them think about their approach in whichever situation they're they're in and and how they're communicating on that human level to to, to kids and, and and learning going forward which I, th which I think is invaluable that's why i love the podcast so much to better sort of share these messages in concepts as well as in sort of practical resources and everything and we'll have links like you like you mentioned to, to everything there so people can click through and find out more so yeah thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for all that inspiration and wisdom thank you mark it was a pleasure and uh yeah wonderful to be here thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community with over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.